You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I've got a secret. It's underneath this sheet here. And I was thinking on the way in, uh, if you're not in the band, um, the band might have an idea of what it was. Some of them might have seen me put it together. But I was just thinking, if if you can figure out what it is, I'll give you like an AMC gift card next week. Uh, but if you can't, then, you know, I'll just, I'll just go to the movies on my own. But here's, here's the thing. I, you know, this sheet has been around with me for a long, long time. This, this is actually a, a bed sheet that I bought when I went to college and it's a twin bed and, and, uh, you know, it's kind of guyish, you know, it's turquoise. Maybe it's not so guyish anymore, but you got to realize that's like coming right out of the eighties in Bible college. I was going to Bible college in, in college at 80 in 89. So it was, man, that was still a, you know, very hip, cool guy color that in pink. So I, but I remember I'd man, that sheet has been through a lot with me, a lot of nights, um, a lot of worry, a lot of stress. I, even when I became a youth pastor, man, that was the the set of sheets that I would take to camp for the for the cot and for the bed, for the bunks and for mission trips. I mean, this thing has, and because of that, it has some some kind of sentimental value uh, for me. Uh, I mean, I I, I don't want to don't want to get rid of it. It was up to my wife. It had been gone, you know, a long time ago. But now I'm going. I'm I'm pushing barely thirty years, and I and I just don't want to get rid of it because I've just I don't know. I I think somehow that I'm going to need this. And you know, there's because you never know when I might need a twin. Yeah, hey, you know what? I'm going to Haiti. That uh, maybe I'll see. I need it. But here's the deal. Sometimes we have secrets that we've been holding on to for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you have been holding on to a secret for years. And for some reason, you just can't share it. You just can't let it go. And I'm not talking about when you're supposed to keep a secret of somebody else, when, when you're confided in. But I'm talking about the secrets that you have. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to do a series called Top Secret. We're going to talk about some of the things that we keep under the sheets, some of the things that we hide in the closet, some of the things that we are just holding on to and hanging on to that, that we think that if anybody were to know, that they would be ashamed of us or we're afraid because maybe they won't like us anymore. We're going to take a look at the things that are top secret. And uh, today, um, I'm going to talk about a big one. It's kind of the over, overarching theme for the whole little mini-series that we're going to do. And our, and our key verse for the whole series is in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, He who conceals or keeps them secret, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses, and renounces, that means turns from them, whoever confesses and renounces them, finds what? Finds mercy. You know, will we ever learn to stop hiding behind the lies? The challenge here is, is it, I'm going to ask you to confront some secrets in your life, some challenges, some things in your life, and to renounce them, to confess them and renounce them, not just renounce, I'm not going to do that anymore, 
And not just to confess him, but to actually have confession with some action and in Christ find mercy. Um, there's a story about this guy, this teacher at, at a Bible college, and he asks all the students, he says, all right, I have an assignment this week for you. I want everybody to read uh, Mark 17. Everybody read Mark 17. So the following week comes back to class and, and he says, uh, he says, how many of you read Mark 17? And half the class raises their hand and he goes, that is awesome. The other half, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but those of you that read, why don't you go ahead and stand up? And they all stand up and they, they he goes, let's, let's give them a, a show of hands for those that actually read Mark 17. He goes, all right, go ahead and have a seat. Now let's, let's all turn to Mark 17. And all these Bible students are just kind of, they're kind of licking their fingers and scurrying through the pages only to find out uh, that there is no Mark 17. There's no such thing. Today, we're going to kick off the secret of lying. Um, So what's in your file? What's in your top secret file? So how many of you have ever told a lie in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. Those of you not raising your hand, you can now raise your hand because you are a liar, all right? Have you ever lied? You know, I would say (laughs) I don't know anybody, anyone other than Jesus who walked this earth who who never lied. We are all kind of a product of that selfishness to to hide behind insecurities. And, and, uh, you know, 91% of, this blew me away, 91%, statistical, you know, survey, 91% of, of people, 91% lie routinely. I mean, if the question was asked, do you lie every now and then? 91% said yes. 86% of students lie to their parents. Some of your parents are like, I knew it. I knew it. 81% of people lie about their feelings. 75% of people lie even to their friends. And this one's kind of scary, and it's, and it's the, the lowest one, but still pretty scary. But 69% of the people lie to their spouse. So uh, we don't need lying lessons here. You know, we, we don't need to kind of, here's how you lie. In fact, we were born... Uh, with this natural tendency to lie. I mean, we're, we're born with this sin nature. Uh, you know, we never had to sit our kids down and go, all right, here's how you get out of trouble. Here's how you avoid answering the truth. Here's how you, you know, try to evade pain. And here's how you try to, you think you make people feel better. Here's how you do it. You lie. We never had to do that because we all lie. We're all liars. Now, some of us are not liars anymore, thank God. But I think there are many of us, even Christians, sadly, that lie a lot. So we're going to take a look at a guy who lied like a kid. His name is Aaron, and it's in Exodus 32, chapter 1. We're going to take a look at this story. It says this in verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Marin and said, hold on, before that, by the way, you got to realize Moses is is leading the charge of about a hundred and about one point five million people, and uh, he marches them out to the desert to a place called Mount Sinai, and they set up this massive camp, a million plus people, and he says, "All right, guys, I'm meeting with God. I'm going up to the mountain, and I'll be back when I'm back." 
right? Now, they had already seen some pretty amazing miracles. They saw the plagues uh, that were just mind-blowing. Uh, they, they saw the Red River open up for them. I mean, they were walking in miracles. They saw uh, a fire, uh, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke, a cloud by day. I mean, they saw and experienced a miraculous God. But Moses said, hey, guys, I, I've got to go to the mountain for just for a while, you guys just hang tight. Now, while Moses was up there, God's relaying to Moses the laws and the commands that were later written down in Deuteronomy. He also was given the Ten Commandments at this time. But he's up there, man, sweating it in the presence of God. But here's what happens. The people saw that Moses was so long in coming back and coming down from the mountain. So they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us God's who will go before us. Now, what I, I just dawned on me, you know, a lot of us who are Christians in this room, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here because hopefully you'll be enlightened to the truth of Jesus Christ, not the lies that the world tries to tell you. But a lot of us as, as Christians, we believe that, that the Lord is coming back. But we just like, just like the Israelites, we think, you know what? It's taking Jesus so long in coming down, so they start looking for other things to worship. It's exactly what happens here. So he said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, I'm like, it's not like he didn't just save their life. It's not like he didn't just release them from a tremendous amount of bondage. I love the way it says, as for this fellow, this guy, this person, they totally reduced him down to just a fellow no one of its significance, influence in their life. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So Aaron says, you guys, get yourself together. Don't you remember the Red Sea opening? Come on, guys, pull it together. God is with us. Be strong, be faithful. No, this is what he says. So Aaron answered, he says, take off all your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing. By the way, it mentions that their sons wear earrings and it wasn't a sin. I'm just saying. All right. He goes, uh, take off the gold earrings your wives and your sons and your daughters were wearing and bring them to me. Uh, so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and made it. He made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. That's a baby cow. So they would rather rather than serve an invisible almighty God, they want to worship a baby calf that they can see. It's an image of one of their false deities from, from the region, from uh, uh, Egypt there. So fashioning it with the tools. So he didn't just like, like put it in there. He actually, you know, melted all the gold, brought it out, fashioned it, chiseled it. He made it. He put a lot of work. Aaron crafted this idol with his own hands. And he says, then they said... Uh, he goes, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, what's going on in the mountain at this time is Moses is, is standing there while God, with his own hands, the Bible says, is chiseling out the Ten Commandments in stone. Now, what's interesting, just as a footnote, is that all of the law of God was handwritten exclusively by Moses, but the Ten Commandments were exclusively written by God himself. 
And I think that's interesting because the Ten Commandments represent the very core values, the very morals of God, the very character traits of God that he has put as standards in our life. And though the, the other laws and the rituals, the cultural things of, the, of Deuteronomy and even numbers uh, of the Levitical law of Leviticus, those things change. But the Ten Commandments, God's moral standards, they never change. They're written in stone. So God is writing these out. And, uh, and then while Moses is kind of looking over him, God kind of taps him on the shoulder and says, you need to get down there. They are going crazy. So Moses makes his way down after a discussion with God, which is pretty interesting if you want to check it out in, uh, Mos- in, uh, in um, Exodus 32. So he walks down there and he sees this giant orgy around this calf. It's not just like, yeah, whoop, whoop. They are going bonkers. They're naked. They're dancing, all kinds of crazy, perverted things. They're singing. They're, they're getting drunk out of their mind. Moses comes down and goes, what is going on here? And in anger, a righteous anger, he takes that golden calf, he burns it, he crushes it, he pounds it into ash, puts it in all their water and makes them all drink it. Pretty funny. <laughs> and then he takes Aaron aside and he goes, what is wrong with you, man? And that's what Aaron says in verse 21. And he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you? that you led them into such great sin. And Aaron says, don't be angry, my Lord. He says, uh, Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. <laughs> you know, some people, they just, they'll just never learn. He starts blaming it on them. And he says, they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. I'm just, man, I'm just trying to, follow. I'm leading by survey. You know, leaders don't lead by survey. Leaders don't put their finger in the air and see which way the wind is blowing. They don't take a consensus of of how everybody's feeling. They don't lead by everybody's opinions. They lead by God's plan and God's moving through them as a leader with accountability with others. He says, but he stuck his finger in the air. He took a survey, he passed out some sheets. He made a bunch of phone calls and they wanted another deity. So he says, I told them, well, whoever has any gold, take it off. And he says, and they gave it to me, and I just threw it in a fire. And I love this. He goes, and out came this calf. It just popped right out. And we already know he chiseled it by hand with his, with his tools. So Aaron lied to himself by saying, you know, God and Moses won't mind. He convinced himself of the lie that God didn't care and God wasn't there and that Moses would understand. He lied to the people when he was saying, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And he lied to Moses. He says, I didn't do anything. (laughs) I actually tried to stop it, but you know, they just over, you know, they're too opinionated. They're too strong-willed. So let's hit this issue on the head and let's face the truth about our lives. There's basically three kinds of lying, uh, three types of people that lie, and, and these are the three types. Let's face the truth. Where do you fit? You're one of these, possibly. Uh, the first one is, is the person who says, I lie occasionally, you know, fibs, white lies, exaggerations, uh, the yes dears and whatever. You know, they, they, they have an opinion, they have an idea, but they twist, they construe. It's, it's just a little here, it's just a little there, just to make them look better, just to get out of trouble, just to avoid a phone call just to uh, avoid talking to that person, it's the 
lie occasionally. And then there's the I lie often. That's the person who lies about their finances, who they live well beyond their means only to look good, but they know that they're devastated financially. Or those that lie at work to get ahead. They lie about their work, about their job, about their accomplishments. Or those who lie with their family. They, 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 they lie about where they've been or where they're going and what they're up to. And they, they avoid the truth. And then there are sexual lies, the lies that people lie in order to make themselves good or to, uh, to get things from others about stuff we did and about stuff we didn't do. Those are the I lie often, and people often lie for no reason at all. And then there's this person. There's the person who says, I'm living a lie. And the person who's living a lie is someone who's a different person with different people. It's the person who is different at church than they are at work. It's the person who's different at church than they are at school. It's the person who's different with their family than they are with their friends. It's the person who is different with Christians as they are with non-Christians. It's the person who has secrets of addiction or a secret life or something that's going on that they're fighting, that they're living a lie about. So which one are you possibly? Are you one that lies occasionally? One that lies often or one that is living a lie? You know, and here's, here's the sad thing is that I fear that some here even claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, but your life is really no different than non-Christians. And outside of this place, you're pretty much for all good purposes an atheist because you live your life in such a way that God does not influence any other decision in your life other than the occasional Sunday morning. He doesn't influence how you handle money, how you handle your marriage, how you decide your morals, how you live in relationship with your friends, or how you are as a single person or with your parents. These are people, maybe you, you're living a lie. It's top secret, and you don't want anybody to know. I went to this uh, lying website this week, to, uh, to re- and, and I want to read to you some of the lies that were posted uh, this past uh, week in... Um, there's a lot. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to just whiz through some. And, and I want you to hear that this is just people. There's all kinds of like these confession websites and these lie websites where they, um, this is from, uh, what was the name of this website? Well, I'm not, uh, da, 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 da. it was called, yeah, Secret Confession. And uh, this is basically confessions. And I want to read some of them to you. This person says, I struggle with lying on a daily basis. I don't know why I do it, but I do. It kills me because I'm lying to the people who I love the most. I guess I just do it to impress them, but that's a stupid reason. I think it's like an addiction. I've done it for so long, now that I can't stop. Uh, Now I can't stop. Uh, Here's the next one. It says, uh, my whole life I've struggled with telling the truth. Uh, My problem is I hate to disappoint people. I lie because I'm trying to impress people and convince them to do something that I want them to do. I even lied in the past to women to get them to have sex with me. Here's another one. He says, I pretend that everything in my life is perfect, but the truth is I hate myself, and most days I wish I would die. My family and friends don't have any idea. For several years, I've lived two different lives, uh, lives. one as a husband, as a father, and the other as a homosexual. This person says, my husband thinks I'm a virgin, uh, that I was a virgin when I was married, uh, when we were married. Not only was I not a virgin, but I had an abortion when I was 19. Now we can't have kids. Now we can't get pregnant, and I'm afraid to tell them, and I think God is punishing me for my lies. I don't think God is punishing her for her lies, but that's what lies do. They keep you bondage to deception. 
I'm going to jump down to another. There's some others on the screen. You can read them if you want. Here's another one uh, on another page. It says, I've spent 18 years pretending to be someone that I'm not, and I have no idea who I am anymore, and I feel like I'm, I've rotted away inside and die a little inside a little more every day. There's nothing left worth trying to save. I deserve to die. I feel like I'm ready to. Now, these are just regular people, maybe someone like yourself who logs onto this site. They're, they're, just, they're dying inside. They're living a lie and they just got to confess it to anything. But that confession isn't going to bring them life because they're still living in incognito. Here's another one. This one says, I feel depressed, scared, and confused. I'm doing my undergraduate course, and I still badly want to do well in studies. No matter how much, uh, how, no matter how much ever I study, I cannot seem to achieve what I want. I don't know what's wrong. I'm just getting fatter by sitting around and studying. My social life is reduced to almost nothing, and I have no love life. I feel like crying all the time, and I'm so depressed. I can't tell my parents as I don't want to trouble them. Working hard is not paying off at all. This person is being eaten up inside with this lie that they're living. Just a couple more. Uh, This one says, I don't know what to do. In March last year, I was sexually assaulted. None of my friends thought it was a big deal, so I exaggerated what happened. And it worked. Everyone was suddenly so supportive. But I feel truly terrible. And I can't take it back now because I would lose everyone. I don't know where my mental state would be if that happened. I never identified the guy who assaulted me. So it's not hurting anyone. But I feel so guilty. This one said, man, this one brought me to tears as I was reading it. Because as I was reading this next one, it was actually posted within like, like within the hour that I was actually reading it. And this girl says, a girl committed suicide from my school last week. They said it was because she was bullied. I'm sorry, Sarah. I bullied you along with many others. If I could take one thing back in life, it would be saying those horrible things about you. You weren't worthless. And you saw that tonight at your candle lighting where 3,000 students showed up plus more. I'm so sorry. Man, I just, both of them, living a secret, living a lie, living behind and under the sheets of, of something deep inside. This last one says, I grew up in a really religious family. Ever since high school, I questioned my faith and what it stood for. Now I'm 21, and I've accepted that I don't believe in God anymore. No one in my family knows, and if, I ever, and if they ever found out, it would crush them. I find myself constantly lying to my family about what I believe and what I think about certain things. I don't know if I can do it anymore, but they might never talk to me again. I don't want to live a lie anymore, but my family means so much to me. Signed, ex-Christian overwhelmed by guilt. Now, there are different kinds of liars. There is the occasional liar. There is the often liar, and there is the habitual, I am living a lie. These are people who, if you allow that lie to fester, it will destroy you. And some of you go, well, that's not me. I'm just a little white lie kind of guy. I want to tell you something. God hates all lies. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. It says this in Proverbs 12, 22. It says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Proverbs 6 lists Six things that the Lord hates. And then he goes, no, seven that are detestable to him. And two of those seven things are lying. He says there are seven things God hates. 
and he says lying twice. Guys, listen, these are things that are detestable, that God hates. That word detest in the original Hebrew is the word to'eba, which means literally to make me want to throw up. It means that I am disgusted. Guys, listen, lying is detestable and makes God sick. And here's the reason. Because it eats you up and destroys you and consumes you and living a lie will ultimately bring you to a state of bondage and depression that will destroy your life, Christian or not. And God hates lying. It is, an, it is, it is detestable to him. So Jesus talking to the religious leaders who are lying to others about what it means to be a follower of God, said this. He said, you belong to your fathers. Talking to these, all these religious guys who, who said that their life was perfect, but they were living a lie. And he says, you guys belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. But he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him, talking about Satan. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. Guys, listen, even that little white lie is a little child, is, is a expression of demonic activity in our life. Because, I mean, Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Guys, listen, lies are never the solution to your problems. Lies will only bring you a greater level of pain and destruction. I always tell people, you always tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. Because if you're living a lie, you're like, what did I say? How did I say? What did I tell? Just live truthfully and you never have to like, who did I say? What did I say? Because lying will ultimately wrap you in a place of bondage emotionally, relationally with people. So this is the enemy's strategy. We see it in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see how God created Adam and Eve, and walking right onto the scene is the enemy, the great deceiver. He, he comes in the form of a snake, and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve. And the very first temptation of the entire Bible is the, the planting of a lie into their life. He immediately begins to lie to them, and they begin to respond to that lie by listening to the lie, believing the lie, and then telling the lie. Guys, this is the strategy of Satan. Number one, what is the enemy's strategy in our life? Number one, Satan wants you to believe his lies. If you eat this fruit, you won't die. Lie. You'll be like God. Lie. If you believe the lie, you will act on it. And then the next one begins. Satan wants you to tell his lies. His strategy is Satan will try you to get, try you, uh, try to get you to tell his lies. Guys, Aaron believed the lie that Moses was not coming back. And that he was just left there and that God was not in control and that God could not be trusted. And he began to promote and tell that lie. We start telling lies just like Adam and Eve did. As soon as they heard the lies from the enemy, they began to believe those lies. They began to tell each other those lies. And then this often leads to the place where you live a lie. And this is the third thing is that Satan wants you to live a lie. He wants you to believe his lies. He wants you to tell his lies. He wants you to live a lie. Satan's dream for us is to claim one thing and secretly live another. Contrast with Jesus. Jesus is a liar. I'm sorry, Satan is a liar. Jesus is the truth. Some of you guys finally woke up. 
A few verses before Jesus confronts those religious liars, this is what he said, very popular verse. And then uh, I want to talk to you about how to overcome and how to find victory in lying in your life. Is He says this in John 6, 31 and 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. He says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. We love that verse. The truth will set you free. I was watching some of the clips from Liar and Liar. There's a part in the courtroom where he goes, the truth will set you free. You know, it's, I like Jim Carrey. I think he's pretty funny. Some of you guys, you hate him, but that's all right, you know. Um, I think he's kind of funny, but I remember that scene in Liar, Liar where he, where he gets all like, you know, that we love that verse, Christian or not, the truth will set you free. But then why do we live a lie? We still live the lie. The truth is always better, we say. It's best to be honest. You know, it's always good to share what you truly feel. But we don't. And we live in bondage. Why is it? Why is it that we do that? And what I don't want us to do today is for us to feel guilty, pray a prayer, and then two days later, go back to the lying game. So how do we move beyond this? How do, we, how do we move beyond just Ted's right? Man, the Bible's right. I need to stop. How do we move beyond? We've got to get to the root. And here's the root issue. This is the big question. Why do we lie? Now, we're going to have some time in our life teams this week, not to talk about this, but in our life teams, uh, there'll be time for you to break out in small groups and to pray and to connect. And this is a great time for you to talk about some of these things. Here's the big question. Why do we lie? Well, we lie for different reasons. You know, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to hurt somebody. We want to look good. We're fearful of the people knew us. They wouldn't like us uh, to look better, to get ahead. But what's the root? Here's the root. The root is this. Why do we lie? I think the reason we lie is very simple. We don't really trust God. We don't really trust God. We're basically saying, I believe my lie is more effective than the truth. I believe that my lie is more valuable and can be trusted more than God's plan for my life in this area. Who is the truth? Jesus. And when we choose a lie or living a lie or a secret life outside of the truth, we are embracing the enemy himself and his plan for our life rather than the truth and the plan of God's plan for our life. But you see understanding honesty and confession, man, we don't trust that it's always going to work out, but we we can't imagine that telling the truth will actually make something better. If I lie, maybe you'll like me better than who God made me to be. I get something to make me happy or keep someone else happy. This was the reason that Aaron lied to the people and lied to Moses, to keep them happy and to not get in trouble. And he didn't trust God. That was the core of it. He didn't trust God. For some, God's spirit is touching you today, and you're thinking, oh, great, I should have never come to church today. Because you know you're living a lie. And you think that somehow I crafted this message just for you. But I didn't. I crafted it for the person next to you. No one knows what's going on. With your boss or your friend, no one knows what's going on on your computer or on your tablet. No one knows what's going on with that addiction, that secret, that affair, that affair in the heart. Today, you'll have an opportunity to deal with it or to continue to live with it. So how do we find healing? Two things, two very simple, simple things to find healing from the lie that we live. 
Here's the first one, very simple. First thing is this, you can do right here, right now, today, and that is, number one, confess it to God. That's it. Confess it to God. If, if, if you want to begin this whole life without living a lie, if you want to expose the secrets of your life and find freedom, then it begins with confessing that you have that lie, that you're living a lie, that you have that struggle, that you have that issue that you know that you've been hiding from people you think you're hiding from God. Confess to God. This is what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, God will do what? He will forgive us and purify us. No matter how dark, no matter how ugly, no matter how horrible, no matter how often it happens, if you confess it to God today, he is faithful to forgive you and purify you of all unrighteousness, all the things that are not right, that are gross, disgusting, that are against God's plan and will for your life, all those things that are not right, all that unrighteousness, God will purify right now, today, at this very moment. There's freedom. There's relief. And we're like, yes, I am forgiven. You can walk out of here with this sense of I am a new person. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. My life is finally free. But here's the challenge. Here's the problem. We know that God has forgiven us, but we walk out. We still feel like, but there's something still there. You still want to sin. You still feel dirty. You still feel vulnerable. You still feel guilt. There's still something undone, and that's number two. And this is something we can't do today. It's something you've got to step out in faith and do. The first one is confess to God. The second one is very simple, but it to say, but it's very hard to do. And it is this, you need to confess it to the right people. You need to confess it to the right people. See, things begin to happen when you confess things to another human being, to another person. It's the very reason that God gave Adam Eve. It's the very reason that that we have this desire to be with you. You know, the Bible's filled with hundreds of love one another, pray for one another, laugh with one another, cry with one another, uh, serve one another. There are hundreds of those. And you know what they all have in common? Another. (laughs) The entire New Testament is written about you being in relationship with somebody. So if you're avoiding relationships, if you're running from connection with people, if you're trying to, you know, just kind of disconnect from other individuals, you're, being, you're doing the opposite of what the Word of God has called us to do, and that lie that you might be living will just get worse and bigger. James says this. this he's the half-brother of Jesus. In James 5.13, we're going to wrap it up with this passage right here. It says this, If any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. Man, that's good news. Let's just close right there. That's good news. If there's anyone you know in trouble, what should we do? Pray. I love that. Is any one of you in trouble? He said he should pray. That's a verse all by itself. Put that on a mug. That's a whole lot better than twisting verses out of context in other other mugs. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. See, there's two types of people in this room. There's those of you, man, you're in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. Your family's in trouble. Your finances are in trouble. Your heart is troubled. If anyone is in trouble, talk to God about it. Pray. But if you're doing great today, and you came in here with a sense of blessing and and hope, well, he says, here's the response. 
Sing songs of praise. Thank him for it. And he says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Man, there's a very special, unique calling there. You know, when, when people get sick in our church and they let us know and contact us, myself or the elders, we like to show up and we pray for them. We believe the Holy Spirit is able to work in those kind of moments because the Bible says to, we just release it to the Lord for him to do what he wants to do. But we believe with you and for that. It says, in the prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, well, he'll be forgiven. I mean, you can talk to him about what's going on in his life, and you can see healing. And this is what I want to talk about, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The word healed there is not necessarily about physical healing. The word there is about wholeness. The word heal is whole. He says, if you will confess your sins one to another so that you might be whole, that you might, you see, this is different than confessing to God. We need to confess to God, but we also need to confess to the right people. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some churches like to use that as a proof text for why you should go to confessional if you're Catholic. But that verse is not about confessionals. It's not about confessing your sins to a Catholic priest. This is, this is a very powerful principle here. I want you to write this down. Sins confessed only to God, we tend to repeat. But sins confessed to others tend to bring lasting change. Let me give you an example. If I am a student in school and I cheat for a test and I get an A, I might feel terrible. I might feel horrible. And I'll say, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me of my sin, and I'm washed clean, I'm forgiven, I'm made new, and I'm not, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But then all of a sudden, I find myself in a bind, I didn't study, I'm not prepared, and I cheat again. And then I feel bad, I feel guilty, and I ask God to forgive me, and I'm washed clean, and I'm a new person. But then I don't study, and it worked out so well last time, so I cheat again. And then I say, I'm sorry, and I'm forgiven, but then I cheat again, and the cycle continues continues forgiven and repeat forgiven and repeat but you know what changes and stops that cycle if you were to go straight up to the teacher and said i need to confess to you i cheated on that last test you probably would never cheat again that teacher would make sure of it and that cycle of sin stops in its tracks through confession to the right people guys listen the word of god is challenging you to not just confess to God, but to confess to each other. Write this down. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to God's people for healing. And the right people is important because you don't just go and confess it to your family member or to, or to your best friend at work or your buddy. This is very clear. The Bible says you need to confess this to the people of God. Now, if that family member is a Christian, then that may be the right person. And this doesn't mean that you need to get up on the microphone and go, all right, I got a confession to make, everybody. Um, I've, been, I've been lying, so, you know, I just want to do what the Bible says. All right, thanks. That's, you know, because there are some things that people don't need to know. There are some things that, that need to be kept uh, between you and somebody else, realizing that there's going to be some short-term pain, or maybe even long-term pain, there's a question that may guide you on who to talk to about your confession. 
And this is the question you need to ask when it comes to who should I confess to, is this. Will the short-term pain of that confession lead to deeper intimacy with that person? For example, a secret with my wife is always going to be something that separates us emotionally and relationally. When I tell her, it might hurt. But confession will ultimately lead to deeper intimacy between my wife and I. But if the answer is no, then maybe you shouldn't confess it to that person. Because you don't need to confess your sins to everybody, just the right person. You think, well, I can't. It will hurt too deeply. Confession does hurt. Because sin hurts people. But you can be truthful if you trust God. But if you're still lacking that God is going to work it out and do and bring you to a closer relationship with that person, then the issue is not your lie and your secret. The issue is your trust in God. So it's time to fess up. Bring your pain, bring your hurt, bring your filth, bring your adultery, bring your lies, bring your pornography, bring your drugs, bring it all. No more pretending. It's not disgusting because it's breaking God's heart. I want us to watch this video and then I want to pray for you as we go. I've carried this burden for too long. I have turned from you, and my heart has turned to stone. You say your yoke is easy, yet I carry it still. You say your burden is light, yet I carry it still. You say you will give me rest, yet I carry it still. Lower my vengeance, my anger and my hatred. Banish my wicked thoughts from me. Send down a drop from heaven of your Holy Spirit to soften this heart of rock of mine. the strength to let go. Let my memory provide no shelter for grievance against another. Let my heart Provide no harbor for hatred of another. Let my tongue be no accomplice in the judgment of a brother. Give me the strength to surrender. Give me the strength to be weak. 
go. And not pick it up again. Some of you have been uh, living that life for so long, you've become cold-hearted and, and uh, to that issue, to that very struggle, to that very sin, to that very secret. Some of you, it's, your, your heart has become hard and like stone, like in that video. Will you let it go today? Will you confess it to the Lord? Step out in faith and confess it to the right person. Maybe that person isn't your spouse. Maybe it's a friend, a Christian friend. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe you need to confess something to your children. You know, I saw that sheet earlier, and some of you guys, you knew what it is, but I think most of you probably didn't. And you're just like, the obvious, you're hiding something. Some of you think nobody knows. It's obvious. Some of you are hiding something. That's why you're avoiding people. That's why the spark is gone. Because you're living top secret. I want to end with this verse that we started with. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his sin, who keeps the secret, does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them, finds mercy. Satan is a liar. There's no freedom in his lies. We allow the Holy Spirit of God to set you free through the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you, God, gave your life so that we could be free. That God, you gave your life so that we could be forgiven of our sins and set free from our sins and set our secrets. God, there is no shame in you, Jesus. God, there's no fear. God, your word says that your love, perfect love, casts out all fear. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that you are trustworthy and that your perfect love for us will shelter us, even though the confession might hurt. It will ultimately bring down the walls that we keep people out with and we'll be free. Would you just take a moment right now? Some of you guys, you know exactly what's going on in your heart, in your life, that sin, that secret that you have, that you've been doing or that happened in the past and maybe you stopped doing it, but it still is eating you up inside because it's a secret and, and you don't know what to do. Will you do just a moment, do something right now? Just confess it to the Lord, Jesus. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, here's my life, here's my heart, I confess to you. Go ahead and tell him what it is.
Give us the courage to confess to the right people so the cycle of lies in our life can end. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.